0: It was a brutal killing spree that claimed the lives of at least 15 black women from 1909 through 1914. He used the same methods as Jack the Ripper, and while police and newspapers tried to catch the elusive killer, he'd strike again and again and again. For more episodes like this one, be sure to follow the series Unsolved Murders. Every Tuesday, we examine a real murder that, to this day, remains a mystery. Listen to Unsolved Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money. Maker. Play the game and you could win money. Up to two million dollars. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Due to the
2: graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
3: Extra, extra, new evidence in London's notorious Jack the Ripper case. New leads and new suspects. Something
4: wrong, sir? Twenty years later, they're still looking for London's Jack the Ripper. We've got our own damn Ripper right here in Atlanta. And nobody's doing anything about it. Our own Ripper?
3: I sell these papers every day. Don't try telling tall tales to me.
4: The papers won't say anything because our Ripper's killing black women. They couldn't care less. Surely they would say something. My sister was left splayed on the street. Throat slashed, blood everywhere. They said nothing. Gee, I'm sorry, mister. Sorry won't save your mother when the Ripper comes for her. He's still out there, and he won't stop until he's caught.
2: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, the ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
0: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every episode, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
2: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the
3: search bar.
0: At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network.
2: This is our first episode on the Atlanta Ripper. Today, we'll cover the beginning of the brutal killing spree and the racial bias that allowed the Ripper to murder indiscriminately, claiming at least 15 victims from 1909 until 1914.
0: In our next episode, we'll cover the continuation of the Atlanta Ripper and the lasting impact of his crimes. In 1900, the city of Atlanta, Georgia, was one of the only economic powerhouses of the post-Civil War South. It served as the meeting point between the Atlantic and the Western Railroads, with more than 150 trains arriving in the city on a daily basis.
2: Atlanta's importance for transcontinental travel, its thriving industry, and its booming growth led citizens to dub it the Gate City and the Chicago of the South. The people who lived there wanted their home to be a shining example of Southern excellence.
0: Unfortunately, many residents ignored the fact that Atlanta was not one city, but two.
2: Due to the widespread racism of the day, Atlanta was heavily segregated. White Atlanta essentially contained the newspapers and the police, while the citizens of black Atlanta were confined to separate districts, with little say in local
0: governance. Despite the discrimination against Black Atlantans, they began to thrive all on their own. Atlanta became home to several storied Black universities, as well as many Black industrialists and entrepreneurs. It was a hotbed for innovation and excellence. And soon, the city's thriving economy allowed Black Americans to become part of the upper class.
2: But this success fostered resentment among white residents. Their hatred and bigotry festered for years until it reached a
0: tipping point during the Georgia gubernatorial election of 1906. The candidates were Hoke Smith and Clark Howell, both of whom ran the largest newspapers in the city. Smith was the publisher of the Atlanta Journal, while Howell was the editor of the Atlantic Constitution.
2: Both campaigns focused on one goal, disenfranchising the black population of Georgia their debates often took a frightening tone as they primarily competed to determine which candidate was a stronger proponent of white supremacy.
0: This open racism naturally found its way onto the front pages of Atlantis newspapers. Many publications dedicated full-page spreads to every instance of black on white crime that they could find. Sometimes the papers even fabricated articles about black men sexually assaulting white women in broad daylight.
2: With these heinous ideas and lies presented to the public on a daily basis, the white population of Atlanta was soon whipped into a frenzy. Their hatred erupted in September 1906, after every major paper printed stories about four assaults on white women that had allegedly taken place earlier in the month.
0: On September 22nd, a mob of rampaging white men descended upon the black section of the city.
2: They broke into black businesses and destroyed the products inside. They demolished property and vandalized public places. They attacked people on the streets and sometimes in their own homes. They even killed with indiscretion.
0: Some city leaders, like Atlanta Mayor James G. Woodward, attempted to stop the violence.
1: Gentlemen, this show of savagery is unacceptable Our city has a reputation as a leader of the New South. We are supposed to represent a shining example of Southern excellence and civility. Consider what your violence will do to our reputation. Consider what you'll do to our economy.
2: Yet Woodward's pleas fell on deaf ears. The mob's rampage continued.
0: As Black Atlantans realized the danger that they were in, some began to defend themselves and their homes a few
2: fired warning shots above the crowd, deterring incursions onto their land. Ironically, police arrested these people rather than the mob.
0: Eventually, the Georgia State Militia entered Atlanta and forced the mob off the streets. The 1906 Atlanta race riots officially ended on September 25th, after four days of chaos.
2: By the end of it, 250 black men were arrested for acting in self-defense hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of black-owned property was destroyed and as many as 25 black men and women were murdered
0: only two white people died during the ordeal one was shot the other was an elderly woman who suffered a heart attack when she saw the angry mob marching outside her home
2: after the riots the city leadership tried to sweep the incident under the rug newspapers refused to report on the attacks, official history books would leave it out of their pages, and no apologies or recompense was made to the victims of such horrific racial violence.
0: This was the Atlanta of the 1900s, plagued by widespread discrimination and contempt for its black population.
2: The attitude was so pervasive, it would allow a new deadly horror to unleash itself upon the black citizens of the city.
0: Hey, mom. You're home. Good. Take the trash out for me. Uh, fine. That boy always groaning. <laughs> what in the world? Mom, there's a a woman on the trash pile. Is she drunk or? She's dead. Her throat's cut. Wide- On April 5th, 1909, a woman was found murdered and discarded in a pile of garbage near some train tracks. She was later identified as Della Reed, a young woman who'd gone missing the night before.
2: Her death shocked the locals, but her race prevented her murder from gaining any traction in the local news.
0: Because Della Reed was a black woman killed in a black neighborhood, the white reporters and police force paid little attention to her death. Her murder was briefly investigated, but when police found no obvious leads, it was quickly ignored.
2: Little did the people know, Della's death was a grim sign of things to come.
0: Five months later, on September 7th, 1909, a second body was found. This time, the victim was discovered in Peachtree Creek, also near some train tracks. This woman
2: would never be identified, but she was young and black, just like Della Reed. Also like Della Reed, her death was ignored by the press and the
0: police. This awful killing spree would continue through 1909 and 1910, as ten young black women were murdered and discarded on the streets of Atlanta. Besides their race and gender, the victims had little in common, though many were found near railroad tracks.
2: Among these victims were Estella Baldwin, who was murdered with a blunt object, Georgia Brown, Maddie Smith, Lavinia Austin, Sarah Dukes, and Frances Lampkin, who were all shot, and Eliza Griggs and Maggie Brooks, who were both killed via unknown
0: means. Unfortunately, none of these murders were reported at the time. The names of the victims remain largely unknown to the public and none of the police investigations resulted in any arrests or convictions.
2: The women of black Atlanta were being hunted, and their government was doing nothing to help them.
0: Fear began to rule the streets, and soon the killings would get so horrific, even white Atlanta would be forced to take notice.
2: When we return, Atlanta recognizes their streets are being hounded by their very own Jack the Ripper. Now back to the story.
0: Over the course of 1909 and 1910, at least 10 young black women were gruesomely murdered in the city of Atlanta. The white police force of the city failed to find any leads, and the white-run newspapers made no mention of this tragic loss of life.
2: But the killings soon grew so violent, they became impossible to ignore.
0: On January 22nd, 1911, 35-year-old Rosa Trice was found murdered near her home. The brutality of her murder caught the attention of the Atlanta Constitution and their editor, former gubernatorial candidate Clark Howell.
2: For the first time, a newspaper wrote about one of the victims of the Atlanta
1: Ripper, saying... The murder had evidently been committed sometime during the night, and she had lain in the street some hours after her death. Her body had been dragged for some distance by her assailant. No weapon was left to show the manner of the crime. The left side of her head was crushed with some blunt instrument. She had received a stab in the jaw, and her throat was cut.
0: This became one of the first articles to mention that the killer slashed his victim's throats, which became the Atlanta Ripper's signature. Yet, at the time, the paper made no mention of the other murders, the killing spree that had terrorized the community for the previous two years.
2: Luckily, the violence displayed against Rosa Trice not only made the papers, but also caught the attention of the Atlanta Police Department. And for the first time... Authorities arrested a suspect, John Trice, the victim's husband.
1: Now, Mr. Trice... I
4: didn't do this. Mr. Trice, we know you killed your wife. I did not. You did. We just want to know why you thought you'd get away with it.
3: I loved my wife. It wasn't me. It was the maniac. Maniac sounds awfully convenient, Convenient, my ass. He's been killing our women for two years, and now he's got my wife. You think he might be right?
1: They were probably all knocked off by husbands and boyfriends, like this one. You know how
4: things are. Yeah, I know, I know.
0: Despite their suspicions, the police failed to find any evidence linking John Trice to his wife's death, and he was allowed to go free. Yet, they still refused to acknowledge a serial killer was loose on the streets. Instead, they
2: preferred to believe the mysterious deaths of the previous two years were simply the products of domestic violence or interpersonal squabbles. This explanation allowed them to hand-wave away the problems their city was facing.
0: In this environment, the killer was free to strike again.
2: On February 19th, 1911... Another young black woman was found murdered in Grant Park. Police would never identify the victim, but it was clear that her assailant had killed before. Just like Rosa Trice, this poor woman was bludgeoned across the head and her throat was sliced open.
0: Also, like before, the police were either unable or unwilling to find the culprit. Yet another victim was left without justice.
2: Two months later, the killer struck again. On May 8th, 1911, around 10.30 p.m., Rosa Rivers was walking home from work with her sister and her friend when the three women were attacked.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So, are
4: you going out with him? Yeah, Rosa. Do you love him? Stop it. He's a nice guy, but... Hey! What? Don't you ladies know it's dangerous to be out this late? Especially for pretty young things like you.
0: What do we have to be afraid of? Me! (laughs) Rosa! Rosa! He shot my sister! He shot my sister! (laughs) From the darkness, a strange man shot Rosa, then fled into the night.
2: The victims could only identify their attacker as a tall black man... But the shocking nature of Rosa's murder did garner the attention of the Atlanta Constitution. The paper wrote all of four sentences detailing the crime and nothing else. The article made no mention of the many shocking murders that had come before or of the possibility that they had all been committed by the same deranged man.
0: After 13 murders, White Atlanta was finally starting to take some notice. But police had a long way to go. And things were about to get much worse.
2: On May 28, 1911, a woman noticed that her sister, Belle Walker, had not returned home.
0: She searched the street outside and alerted the neighbors to Belle's disappearance. Together, they all combed the neighborhood, desperate to stop the killer.
2: Unfortunately, the hunt didn't take long. Belle's body was found discarded in a field only 25 yards away from her home.
0: The papers did report on this murder, but details about how Bell was killed were left out. Once again, the newspapers failed to recognize the many similarities between Bell's death and the 13 women who had died before her.
2: This would finally change a little over two weeks later when another brutal murder shook the city to its core.
0: On June 15th, the body of a young woman named Addie Watts was found next to the Southern Railway Line. Her death was particularly gruesome as her head had been bashed in with a railroad coupling pin and her throat had been slashed clean open.
2: Given the highly trafficked nature of the location and the grisly details of the murder, one Atlanta newspaper, the Atlanta Journal, was finally forced to conclude that these killings were anything but ordinary.
4: To our dear readers... It seems that our city is faced with the awful existence of a black butcher. This killer's brutality is evident in the way he beats their heads, slashes their throats, or guns them down like animals. The killer's consistency in murdering women on Saturday nights and leaving them on display to be found on Sunday morning is eerily reminiscent of that dark and terrible specter who once stalked the land across the sea. Yes, I am talking about the fearsome Jack the Ripper. It seems we have our own Ripper right here in Atlanta. And it's about time our police force did something about it.
0: For the first time, a newspaper mentioned the existence of a serial killer. And for the first time, that killer was given a name. The Atlanta Ripper.
2: This was a huge stride towards gaining the recognition these murders had deserved, yet the public's perception was still tinged by the racism of the day. While the Atlanta Journal was the first to recognize these as serial killings, the other papers in the city reported on Watt's death as if it was simply business as usual.
0: As for the Atlanta Ripper, he didn't wait long to strike again.
2: Only two weeks later, on June 27th, the body of Lizzie Watkins was found dumped in a field. Her throat had been slashed open like many of the others.
0: The Atlanta Journal immediately recognized this as the work of the Ripper. For the first time, they dedicated the front page of their paper to the death of a black woman.
2: The Journal finally also went in-depth examining the many similarities between Lizzie Watkins' death and those of the 15 other women whose murders had gone unsolved throughout the previous two years.
0: Yet, reporters at the Atlanta Constitution were unconvinced. They also wrote about Lizzie Watkins' murder, but kept their coverage brief. They even declared that her death was likely the result of drugs and alcohol.
2: The statement was absurd and irresponsible, but it didn't take long for the Constitution to eat its words, as the Ripper's next attack occurred less than a week later.
0: On July 1st, 1911, Emma Lou Sharp watched her mother, Lena Sharp, leave the house to get some food at the corner market.
2: Lena's trip should have been short and simple, but the hours ticked past and she failed to return. Lou knew the rumors about the Ripper and grew concerned for her mother.
0: Eventually, she rushed to the market herself to see what had happened. Uh, 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 Excuse me.
4: Oh, hi, Lou. Everything okay? I... I don't know. Have you seen my mother here tonight?
3: Lena, I don't believe I have.
4: Are you sure? Absolutely. Uh, No,
3: no, no, no! Emma Lou, come back! What's going on? Emma
2: Lou ran back onto the streets, knowing she would likely find her mother somewhere along the path. But as she began searching, she found something else entirely. A tall, black man wearing a jet-black hat, the shadows of the cap obscuring his face beneath the street lamps.
4: Evening, miss. You look worried. How you been getting along? Um... I'm feeling quite well, thank you. Now, if you'll let me pass, I-, I have somewhere I need to be. Let you pass. You seem scared. Perhaps because you're frightening.
3: Oh, no, no.
4: Don't be afraid. I never hurt girls like you.
0: <laughs> Emma Lou's screams echoed through the neighborhood. Fearing discovery, the ripper fled leaving his knife lodged in her back.
2: Drawn by the shouts, a crowd of people soon gathered around Lou. They treated her wounds and helped her home, but they were too late to catch her attacker.
0: Once Lou was safe, she reminded them that her mother was still missing. A search party left her home and spread out looking for any signs of Lena Sharp.
2: They found her near the seaboard railroad tracks. Her throat had been cut so deeply her head was barely attached to her body. The Atlanta Ripper had brutally murdered a mother and stabbed her daughter in the back on the same night.
0: With a first-hand survivor of a Ripper attack, the Atlanta Constitution was forced to recognize the existence of a serial killer. They printed Lou's description of the killer as a tall, broad-shouldered black man and finally began calling for the murderer's capture.
2: Emma Lou’s eyewitness account gave the public new hope. On July 4th, 1911, a black undertaker named L.L. L. Lee announced that he was offering up $25 of his own money, approximately $650 today, as a reward for anyone who could provide information leading to the Ripper's capture.
0: Lee's reward inspired many of the community to help nab the men who'd been terrorizing them for two years. That, plus the exposure provided by the white newspapers, helped black Atlanta feel a new sense of optimism after months of desolation. Perhaps they really could capture the Atlanta Ripper.
2: After this, Atlanta steps up its efforts to end the Ripper's rampage. Now back to the story.
0: Between 1909 and the summer of 1911, 16 young black women were murdered in the city of Atlanta. All of their murders went unsolved, and most weren't even commented on by the mainstream white-run newspapers in the city. But after Emma Lou Sharp survived a violent attack in July 1911, the papers were finally forced to acknowledge that black Atlantans were being terrorized by their very own Jack the Ripper.
2: With this long-awaited acknowledgement, Atlanta's black citizens finally began to feel optimistic. Prominent members of the community decided to leverage this exposure in an attempt to get the city to act.
0: The effort was led by Reverend Henry Hugh Proctor, one of the first black men to graduate from Yale University and the founder of the Colored Cooperative Civic League. Reverend Proctor was one of the most highly renowned citizens of Atlanta and he'd led many efforts to relieve racial tensions in the city.
2: Reverend Proctor also pastored at the First Congregational Church of Atlanta, a church that he'd built up to include over 1,000 members. Upon hearing about the Atlanta Ripper, Reverend Proctor called a gathering of the citizens of Black Atlanta to discuss solutions. He spoke passionately on the subject.
3: Brothers and sisters, we face a great evil in our neighborhoods today. A great evil! One that must be condemned forthright. Amen! But as you well know, it is not enough to condemn this evil. We must do all we can to see it brought to its end. This Ripper must be stopped, and we must use every resource available to stop him. Yes! That means, brothers and sisters, we must trust the police. What? No. I know, I know. They've given us no reason to trust them and every reason not to. But if we want to see this Ripper behind bars, we must tell the police what we know and everything we know. <sighs> we, as a community, must cooperate. But I do not wish this to be one-sided. If the police truly want to catch this man, then they need to trust us.
4: Yeah. Yes, okay. Master.
3: That's why we are asking the Atlanta Police Department to hire their first black detective. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we, the black folk of Atlanta, can trust the police, and the police can trust us, we will stop this Atlanta Ripper once and for all.
4: Yes! Yeah.
2: Being the incredibly accomplished man that he was, Reverend Proctor knew that the fight against the Ripper could also serve as a fight for his people. Yet, as he fought in the court of public opinion, the Ripper continued to tear down everything the good people of Atlanta stood for.
0: On July 8th, Mary Yeddle, a young woman who worked as a cook for a Mr. W.M. Seltzer, was finishing up for the day and about to head home. Are you
4: sure you feel safe, Mary? The song has long past set, and I can help you get home if you'd like. I should be fine, It doesn't take me too long to get home. If you change your mind, let me know. Will do, Mr. Seltzer. You have a good night. You too. Mary left the house alone
2: and began to walk down the street. She didn't make it very far before she heard a whistle coming from a darkened alley.
4: Hello? Who's there?
0: Stop whistling! As the Ripper rushed towards her, Mary sprinted away as fast as she could. She made it all the way back to the Seltzer home, where she burst into the door. Mr. Seltzer! Mary, are you okay? (laughs) The Ripper! In the alley!
4: Alley? Let's see him rip this. Uh,
2: Thank you. Mr. Seltzer rushed back out the road, loaded revolver in his hand. To his surprise, he found the Ripper still standing in the shadows.
4: Hands up, Ripper. Damn, missed him.
0: After the Ripper fled, Seltzer sprinted back to his house and called the police.
4: The
2: authorities rushed out to the neighborhood, combing through the streets with as many motorcycles as they could manage.
0: But the Ripper had vanished into the night. He hadn't taken Mary Yettle's life, but he had escaped once again.
2: Though Mary survived, the Ripper's next victim wouldn't be so lucky. Only two days later, on July 10th, yet another body was found.
0: That morning, a laborer noticed signs of a struggle in the dirt while on his way to work. He followed the trail only to find the freshly made corpse of Sadie Holly.
2: Her head had been bashed in with a rock, and her throat had been hacked apart. In a strange twist, her shoes had been stolen by her killer, perhaps as a trophy.
0: Sadie's death came only one week after the Ripper's last murder, and it whipped the media into another frenzy. For the first time, the Atlanta Constitution dedicated their front page to the death of a black woman.
1: The police department has nothing to say in explanation of its inability thus far to cope with the situation, further than the simple declaration that it's doing its best. In the meantime, black citizens, naturally panic-stricken that eight women of their race had been murdered in cold blood within as many weeks, are holding mass meetings and are appealing to the governor, the mayor, and to the law-loving citizens to help them in capturing the guilty party or parties and to put a stop to this reign of bloody crime.
2: Finally, every newspaper in the city had brought attention to the massacre occurring against its most vulnerable citizens. The statements of the press soon moved even the white civic leaders of Atlanta to act.
0: Atlanta's Chamber of Commerce met to discuss the killings, and on July 13th, they passed a resolution meant to be read by the public. It was presented by John E. Murphy, a prominent business leader of the time.
4: There has been an outbreak of crime, which has cost the lives of a number of honest and hard-working black people, and these crimes are of a particularly diabolical nature. It is the first duty of any government to protect the lives of its citizens, including thousands whose labor contributes largely to the productive industry of the community. Therefore be it resolved that it is incumbent upon those in control of the administration of the government to see that members of this dependent race are fully protected in their life, liberty, and property. We call upon the Governor and the Mayor and General Council to take such action as will result in adequate police protection to everyone in this community and that they issue rewards for the arrest with evidence to convict the perpetrators of these diabolical crimes.
2: Upon hearing this resolution, both halves of the city were shocked. The statement was polite in its language, and for what seemed like the first time ever, white business owners were asking the government to act on behalf of the black working class. Many people could not believe their ears.
0: On the other hand, skeptical leaders within the Black community felt the Chamber of Commerce was merely acting in their own best interest. After all, the resolution had used the terms hardworking to describe Black people and also stated they contribute largely to the productive industry of the community.
2: The resolution had also taken pains to call Black people a dependent race No matter what, it seemed, the condescending racism that dominated the mindset of white Atlantans would be front and center. It sounded like the Chamber of Commerce simply wished to stop the killings so their black employees could work for them without fear.
0: It was highly patronizing, but in the end, many in the black community felt the resolution could still lead to a positive change. Now, with the Chamber of Commerce on their side, they felt the police might finally take significant action against the Ripper.
2: Thankfully, the added pressure had the desired effect.
1: Police? What do you want? Henry Huff? Yeah? You're under arrest for the murder of Sadie Holly. What? The Ripper got her! Put your hands behind your back! You think I'm the Ripper? Hands behind your back!
0: Atlanta police arrested a 27-year-old man named Henry Huff. Circumstantial evidence made him a prime suspect in the death of Sadie Holly, since Huff had been seen with Holly prior to her demise.
2: Even more suspiciously, when Huff was arrested, his clothes were covered in bloodstains and his arms had clearly been scratched. Authorities theorized his most recent victim had fought back against him.
0: But the police didn't stop with Huff they also arrested a second suspect named Todd Henderson. He was 35 years old, matched the profile, and had been seen near Lena Sharp's home on the night of her murder.
2: Another witness had also seen Henderson near the scene of Sadie Holly's murder on the night of her death. Yet the police soon found even stronger evidence
1: against him. Thank you so much for coming in, Lou.
4: Anything to put the killer behind bars.
1: Fantastic. Now, you could see our friend locked up in the other room. Is that the man who stabbed you?
4: Hmm. It was dark that night, but he looks familiar.
1: Miss Sharp, I'm going to need a direct answer. Is that the man who stabbed you?
4: To the best of my knowledge.
1: I'm afraid that won't be good enough. Henderson! Say the line! <sighs> say it!
3: How you been getting along?
4: Ah! It's him. He's the one. He's the Atlanta
0: Ripper. With Emma Lou's identification, it seemed the Atlanta Police Department had finally found their killer.
2: Unfortunately, the case was far from closed.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. Join us next episode as we learn why the Atlanta Ripper murders are still unsolved to this day.
2: For more information on the Atlanta Ripper amongst the many sources we used, we found the Atlanta Ripper, the unsolved case of the Gate City's most infamous murders by Jeffrey Wells, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
2: Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unsolved Murders for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar.
2: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: If we live till next time.
2: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Giles Hovseth with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Bill Butts, Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Kai Jordan, Harris Markson, and Rebecca Thomas. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.